Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution. Stay tuned as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues on a weekly basis. And if you like what you hear, if you think we've got the sauce, subscribe. On this week's episode, which also happens to be our one-year anniversary, we (laughs) we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of March 28th, including... Ontario has entered the third wave. We definitely didn't see this coming. TD Bank CEO preferring stress tests instead of capital gains taxes. Racialized Canadians three times more likely to experience online hate. Derek Chauvin is on trial. Biden and how he's dealing with migrant families arriving at the border and plenty more. To kick off our politics segment. Well, we're in the third wave, folks. And who would have thought we'd get here, except for just about everyone who's been paying attention and calling for more logical measures to contain the virus. This week, literally a week after some regions like Toronto and Peel reopened, Ontario entered its third shutdown or shut up or lockdown or Loch Ness Monster, whatever it's meant to be called. Emergency break. Emergency break. But like, it's semantics, right? So anyway, whatever it's meant to be called to stop the out-of-control case counts, which continue to set new records almost daily. For example, we set our highest case count since January 22nd on April 2nd at 2,686 cases. I tell you all the changes this brings in, but apart from patios essentially now being closed... The reality for everyone living in Ontario's most populous region is this won't do shit because we were effectively already on lockdown. What many doctors I've seen say on multiple networks and in multiple publications is that these measures won't work because they don't go far enough. When doctors like Dr. Brooks Fallis of William Osler Health System say that we have to take, quote, concrete action if we want to stop the risk of being overrun by COVID variants like B117, They mean regional travel restrictions and deep lockdowns like they did in Ireland and the UK. This includes shutting factories and warehouses that produce non-essential goods, like that 5,000-person Amazon facility in Brampton, and giving those workers paid sick leave, goddammit! Although it's controversial, it also means closing schools, since it's also a clear center of transmission. Really, only the bare-bones essential workers should be leaving their homes outside of getting fresh air. We also need to redirect resources like contact tracing and testing to hotspots. <laughs> In other words, we need a response unlike we've seen here to date. In my opinion, and in the opinion of many others, we've been making too many compromises to make people happy, and unless we change course, we're going to pay for it sorely. 
We also need a new chief medical officer of health because Dr. David Williams is taking us to hell in a damn handbasket. He refuses to call the place we're in right now a failure, even though many others are doing that for him, because things could have been far worse. So let me get this right. Just because things could have been worse, things are good? No. Um. Like, I already pointed it out. Doctors and journalists, like so many people, are openly questioning his guidance, which is never a good thing. Any thoughts on the latest COVID developments, patients? Yeah, I mean, you raise all of the, of the points when it comes to how we've been handling this. And a really big thing that folks have been saying is that, you know, in terms of the lockdown and, and its impact on, on businesses, Toronto is the only place in North America to have had 300 days of lockdown for indoor mm. dining. And this is killing, man. This is killing small yeah. businesses. This is killing restaurants. And I even heard of a story that uh, is, is happening in, in the city of Toronto where Chef Karima, a pretty prominent Black uh, caterer or black, black indoor dining spot, has mm-hmm. has even been broken into a number of times during this lockdown. So imagine, you can't open your restaurant for dining and when you are just trying to keep your head down and maybe make a little bit of money, people are breaking into your spot. Right, right. And, and you know, this is a very hard time because of COVID, as you've already alluded to. And we've also got a provincial government that is not providing support to businesses like Chef Karima that, that need it. Yeah, yeah. And that clearly could provide a solid ROI for our Ontario economy. So, look, we... we, we we are not moving in the right direction. And I, I just kind of want to put this in a perspective for everyone. One thing I will say is Doug Ford's popularity shot up with the pandemic and has been steadily dropping since the second wave, since people are finally recognizing that he fumbled it. In fact, I guess they re- they recognized it then, right? Mm. I assume his popularity will continue to fall even more now. Um, and it's only a matter of time before the majority of Ontarians are unhappy with this incompetence because that's exactly what it is right yep but we aren't there yet as of march 31st he's still in majority territory with 40 percent support while the official opposition ndp sits at 27 percent, and the liberals are at 24 i say this to say that we need to be holding him to account like we're, we're clearly the majority of us are not paying attention and we need to be holding him to account because if we were doing that if we were truly doing that there would be better supports for businesses like Chef Karima in this time. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Um, um, just to kind of zoom out for a moment and take a look at where we are on the wider vaccine delivery front. Uh, as of April 1, 15% of Canadians have gotten at least one dose of the vaccine. And by the time everybody listens to this episode for the first time on Monday, April 5th, we should have 9.5 million doses across the country. Wow. Uh, just to put into perspective, we're also ranked within the top 10 list of countries for vaccine distribution ahead of Germany. So that's good. Zooming in now into Ontario, we've received 2,825,795 shot, uh, vaccine shots. And to date, we've administered about 2,276,313 uh, of them. We've got a population of uh, almost 15 million people. So the faster we get those people vaccinated, the better. And, uh, you know, hopefully we won't have to experience a fourth wave. And hopefully, hopefully, even before uh, we're all vaccinated, we have a government that uh, 
becomes a bit more confident, but I'm not holding my breath. I mean, just before we move on to the next story, did you did you see that that's that pretty widely broadcasted story about the AstraZeneca vaccine and its um, blood clots? Yes, the, the, the <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that's why I saw it initially because Jamaicans were making a joke about it. Um, oh, my blood clot, yo, yo, yo. <laughs> Yeah, um, what, what, what did Cardi say again? Um, what's the name he uses? I always mess up the name. Oh my god! Shandrin, Shandrin, come look, man. When I say on CP twenty four, them I said the blood clot, the thing gone, man. Toronto, Toronto has beat the virus to blood clot. Watch ya. Oh my gosh! But yes, um, that the, so the the fact that the AstraZeneca vaccine is now not being recommended for those who are under fifty five. Uh, I don't know that that got me a little bit shook. You know, I was like, okay, first of all, I really appreciate the transparency around the vaccine. I appreciate because you know we don't we don't think about it all the time. They didn't have to tell us that. I mean, maybe they did uh, ethically, but um, they, they could have just not not use that that vaccine uh with that with the population under 55 and focused it on the older population but you know they told the whole world that they are no longer recommending that vaccine for use for people under 55 and explaining that it does cause blood clots i think that that may have had a, a bit of an impact on folks who were already a little bit concerned about about the vaccine and its long term effects and may have i don't know got people a little bit shook about getting in line. Yeah. That that certainly is the case in Europe. I know that for a fact. Yeah. I um, hmm. So what, what I can say about the AstraZeneca vaccine though, um, you know, I, I totally appreciate that there's a lot of concern about what you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is that like literally, so I, I was taking this in a few weeks ago, like three weeks ago, we were talking about the concerns around blood clots Literally patients, it was in like something like 44 cases out of millions. Yeah, yeah. In Europe. I saw that. Right? So, I mean, it just, it's illogical. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It's illogical to be fearful of that. Um, and there's also no connection. Yeah. There's no connection to the people who did experience blood clots uh, to those who took the vaccine. Because take it, again, to look at it from a different perspective, millions of people Tens of millions of people have taken this vaccine and nothing has been, they haven't experienced any problems. Not one. Yeah. There's also the fact that AstraZeneca, just like Moderna or Pfizer, any of the others, the vaccine is meant to stop us from dying. So as Prime Minister Trudeau has been saying, any vaccine, and 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 Biden for that matter, anybody, any vaccine is a good vaccine. Mm. Take it. And and look, I, Tamika and I had this kind of debate just the other day. She was saying the same thing. I'm like, yo... <laughs> Any vaccine's a good vaccine, fam. So, there's that. Jumping to the Canadian economy, uh, TD Bank's CEO prefers stress tests to capital gains taxes. What do you think? So, last week, patients Selena Caesar Chavan and I spoke on the fact that many economists are calling for drastic measures like taxing capital gains on primary residences to stop people from dropping dumb amounts of cash on even dumber properties. It looks like we now have a burgeoning debate with TD Bank CEO Bharat Misrani saying doing so would be too difficult politically, especially since most jurisdictions give tax-exempt status around the world. It would make Canada an outlier. 
he thinks we should be tightening the stress test instead, which Selena also alluded to last week. Mm -hmm. And like just about everyone else, he's also calling for continuous boosts to our housing supply. I'm sure, patients, you can talk a lot about that. He also wants governments to encourage people to spend the surplus of, get this, $100 billion in savings now in Canadian banks that wasn't there before the pandemic on hard-hit industries like programs similar to one in Singapore that gives uh, everyone that's 18 and above basically 93 bucks in vouchers to visit local tourism centers like hotels. Mm. I know that uh, we actually spoke about this um, a few months ago, patients, about how Ontario was looking to implement that for this year. Yeah. So that's a pretty good idea. Um, any thoughts on the bank of, uh, TD Bank CEO's comments? Yeah, I yes, I, I agree. Um, capital gains taxes on primary residences is evil, fam. <laughs> like, why would you do that? Like, like it's it's a one thing if you're a landlord. You know, you you made the joke last week that you wish you had a second property. It's a it's one thing to do that to someone who this is their second property, right? They they rent it out. It's their cottage or whatever. If if you're gonna do something like change increase the, the taxes on secondary properties or non primary properties. I understand. But this is where I live, fam. This is where I lay my head. We're going to suggest that the best course of action for correcting behavior that's about spending irrationally to correct for this is to then charge them more on their taxes, even though that's where they live. That, that's exactly right. Because psychologically, because yeah. just like you said, psychologically, if you know that you're going to get taxed like that, you're probably not going to make the move in this time. And that's the whole point, to stop the spending in this time. Fem, but these are the same people who are offering 100, 100K over asking. <laughs> so you think that they're going to stop and think about, oh, you know what? I, I really don't want those capital gains taxes. No. I think that's the hope. Stop that 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 psychological circuit breaker, right? No, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I, I have been, I mean, we've both been in that crunch where you're making a, the decision to, to buy a home and mm-hmm. like rarely, I mean, sometimes, but rarely is, is taxes the, 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 the straw that breaks the camel's back. Like I said, no, you're right. Um, but I, I think that uh, just the same way that things have changed psychologically now and there's, you know, people aren't being rational anymore. Fair. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> right? So it's it's fair to, to, uh, to, it's fair to make space for more irrational behavior. Right. Is all I'm saying. Moving on to blackity black black news, racialized Canadians are three times more likely to experience online hate. The Canadian Race Relations Foundation recently conducted a study. The study found that the incidence of experienced or witnessed online racism, sexism, incitements of violence, or homophobic comments is widespread. Almost half of Canadians reported either experiencing or seeing racist comments or content online. You may be thinking, okay, patients, we've been knowing that, so what? Well, now there are calls for more regulations from the feds and from tech companies. Mohammed Hashim, the executive director of the Canadian Race Relations Foundation, said that this is step one in the process to curtail online hate because, quote, we can't just legislate hate out of existence. In January, the federal government said it is planning to introduce pieces of legislation related to tech giants and online harms this year. Heritage Minister, who was also 
the Minister of Multiculturalism in Canada, Stephen Gibault, said that he will table legislation to create a new government regulator with the power to monitor social media platforms and levy fines on social media companies that allow things like hate speech to remain on their platforms. Any thoughts about this, Curtis? Yes, I, um, I, I, you know, take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt, but I, I'm going to be very interested to hear what the conservatives think about this. Mm. Because they simultaneously rail against tech giants, but they also are all about uh, free speech. And <laughs> this, from their perspective, is going to curtail free speech. Yeah. So I want to see how they respond to this one. This is going to be interesting. Hmm. Hmm. I do think that uh, with, you know, being trapped in our homes uh, for such a long time that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is having a really significant effect on everyone Mm -hmm. uh, and that they're probably it's probably time that something be done to to help curtail this. And and, and this isn't even the first time that this has been done. Right. So my, my brother lives in New York now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I bring this up because when he looks at his Instagram, he can still see the number of likes on his photo. And <laughs> in Canada, we haven't been able to see the number of likes on a photo for, it, it feels like, like years I now. think it's two years. Yeah. I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is not without precedent in terms of, um, asking tech giants to do something specifically for, for the Canadian market. That's right. That'd be interesting. MPs are set to vote on a motion to recognize Emancipation Day. Uh, The motion is calling on the federal government to recognize the day that slavery was officially abolished across the British Empire. The motion was introduced by Liberal MP for Richmond Hill, Majid Jahari, but is supported by all parties. The motion also calls for the federal government to recognize that slavery existed in British North America prior to its abolition in 1834, because believe it or not, people still do not know that slavery existed and occurred on Turtle Island before 1834. But Too many people. Don't too know. many, fam. And Jahari says that this motion's aim is reconciliation. And this isn't the first time that, you know, someone has tried to push this at the federal level. This push represents years of effort by other MPs and senators, including Senator Wanda Thomas-Bernard from East Preston, Nova Scotia, who made a similar push in the Senate in 2018. The motion was seconded by Alex Ruff, a conservative MP who represents Owen Sound, where I was surprised to learn Emancipation Day has been celebrated consistently since before Confederation. Look at that. Come on. I love bipartisan moves like this, man. I'm here for that too. Yeah. I I mean, look, I was going to say the conservatives are trying so hard, but like, you know, this is good. This is good. Wow. Owen Sound, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Fascinating. Next. I mean, is probably one of the biggest stories this week. Derek Chauvin is on trial. Chauvin has pleaded not guilty to charges of second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter for the May 2020 death of George Floyd. If convicted, Chauvin could face up to 40 years in prison for second-degree murder, up to 25 years for third-degree murder, and up to 10 years for second-degree manslaughter. The charges are considered to be separate, so Chauvin could be convicted of all, some, or none of them. D. Right. 
While the jurors are unnamed and unseen on camera, we do know basic details about them. Here's what we know. There are five men and nine women who are choosing to serve on the jury. Of the 14 jurors, eight are white, four are black, and two are mixed race. The jury selection process began March 9th uh, and wrapped up exactly two weeks later. So they do have 12 jurors and two alternates. All of the jurors come from the county where the incident took place, Hennepin County, which is demographically about 74% white and 14% black. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. According to census data, the prospective jurors completed a 16-page questionnaire that asked for their personal thoughts on Black Lives Matter, policing, and other topics. In court, each person was sworn in and then questioned one by one in a process known as voir dire. The juror's name, address, and other information are kept anonymous for obvious reasons. I I think this is a really interesting thing just to talk about briefly, Curtis. Just, Mm -hmm. I think in the era of Netflix and in the era of, you know, most people having consumed a significant amount of courtroom drama, I think everyone is really interested to, to see how these how the how the dynamics of the jury will impact the decision, you know, right. um, and having four of the 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 fourteen jurors uh, being black and eight as white, mm-hmm. um, I think is concerning. It's concerning. There, there you go. Um, which is why I think they 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 felt it necessary to talk about how the county itself is seventy four percent white, yeah, very white. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, I think I think on that note, uh, you know, uh, what stops me from being outright alarmed that there's so many white people on that uh, on that jury. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was listening to a story leading up to explaining what was happening with the with the Shelvin case and and the selection of, or and, and jury selection. Mm-hmm. I actually remember hearing a clip of of you know literally some news organization speaking to one of the proposed uh, possible jurists. I think. And the line of questioning was basically you had to have not heard anything, anything about this case, which I I just found like, how could you not have heard anything? Exactly. Exactly. And then how could you, and then you also essentially have to not have an opinion on race issues. Right. I mean, that, that worries me because if you already don't have an opinion on that, the likelihood of you reaching a, progressive conclusion isn't high 
in my opinion, if it were high, we would be a different, we would be in a different place in history right now. So that, that is concerning to me. I wonder if they, if they amended the rules given this situation, if maybe the the bar has been brought a, a bit lower because again, like you said, for people to not have an opinion on like on, on, on race right now is kind of crazy. And if, if that is the standard, what you're really doing is you're encouraging your jurors to censor themselves. Absolutely. And the person who's best at censoring themselves will, will get onto the jury. And then that, that, that's just icky. That's just disgusting. And typically the person best at censoring themselves is the person who doesn't have to see their privilege. Yes. Yes. Precisely. <laughs> Precisely. It's, it's very concerning. The person who has been stealing the hearts of folks who are following the trial is Charles McMillan. He was the man who watched officers detain Floyd, said he was telling Floyd to comply with police as they were trying to get him into the police car, saying, quote, you can't win, end quote. McMillan broke down on the stand during his testimony after watching graphic footage of Floyd's arrest. The video showed officers trying to get Floyd into a squad car, then struggling with the police. Floyd can be heard in the footage saying he's claustrophobic and struggling to breathe. McMillan was one of the first bystanders on the scene and is heard on body camera footage telling officers that Floyd can't breathe. Later, McMillan told Chauvin, I don't respect what you did. Just as a as a closing here, as a closing remark for this story, I really think it's important for us all to remember that the reason police were called to the scene to speak to Floyd was because Floyd allegedly paid for an item from a store with a counterfeit $20 bill. There's no evidence of violence. There's no evidence of force being used by Floyd. This is all happening because of a counterfeit, an allegedly counterfeit $20 bill. Curtis? Yeah, I mean, that that note, I think it's, on, on that note, it's important to let that sink, let that kind of marinate, and that's why I kind of paused there, mm. because of the stupidity of this situation, mm-hmm. the vileness of the situation. Um. I, I think what is what is also interesting to discuss, if if you don't mind, mm-hmm. is you know we, we spoke about um, Charles McMillan. Mm-hmm. Um, there were other uh, people who were on the stand and they gave uh, compelling testimony in their own ways, including some of Chauvin's own former colleagues. Mm. There was a lieutenant who was basically asked point blank, uh, you know, was what Chauvin did kind of an approved practice. And it's like, no, that is that is a banned practice. Like there was, what I'm trying to point out here is that the police who went on the stand against Shelvin, including his superiors, mm-hmm. they did not mince words. Good. And they were very clear about the fact that they are hanging that man's ass out to dry. So I, I certainly hope that with notwithstanding the jury demographics, notwithstanding the history of what black people have faced in the United States at the hands of the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. I'm certainly hoping that this time there's going to be a change. There's going to be difference. 
Sorry, I have, I have one other thing that I just thought of. We we spoke about the Breonna Taylor case, not last week, maybe the, two weeks ago. And we mentioned that there was no body cam footage available from for that, that case. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what happened that night when those police officers broke into that couple's home. Mm-hmm. And as I've been following the footage for Derek Chauvin's tri- trial, I can see why body cam footage is so important. Extremely. This man is accused of having used a, a counterfeit $20 bill. And you, when you get to the scene, you approach him with a gun to his face. Like what? I, I, could you imagine that? I, I can't. I can't. I can't. So body cam footage is, is so, so, so important. Legislation is so important, right? That, that's why we do this. That's why we have the drip, right? Because we talk about like how important it is to, to pass laws, to institute programs and policies that protect people. And yes. man, body cams, although it didn't, it didn't protect George Floyd. I think, uh, this is a, a really good example of why th- that's a really necessary practice. Yes. Yes. Moving on to news from the world. Well, it seems like Biden is delivering on his promises. The Biden administration is spending $86 million on hotel rooms for migrants as his administration struggles to handle the surge of families and kids trying to come to the U.S. The contract is with hotels near the borders in Arizona and Texas to hold about 1,200 migrants, and the contract will last six months. It was made through Endeavors, a nonprofit program that include housing services and disaster relief. But this isn't exactly new. Hotels have kind of always been used by immigration officials, even as recently as last year under Trump, when hundreds of migrants, including children, were held in major hotel chains before being deported under Trump's pandemic border ban. This latest decision to secure hotel rooms comes as the U.S. is seeing the biggest surge of migrants at the border in decades, pacing towards a potential 2 million migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border this year, according to the Washington Post. The surge is putting a heavy strain on government resources and border towns. And so in addition to trying to manage the border surge, the Biden administration is also working to... Um, get some sweeping immigration legislation that would address ongoing problems. Another way that Biden is delivering on his promises is through the American Jobs Plan. Mm-hmm. It includes, wait for it, $2.25 trillion spent over eight years. It is the largest infrastructure plan since World War II. And the space program. And the space program. Wow. One of two plans, there will be another plan focused on healthcare and childcare in the next few weeks. So there will be even more spending. But what does this plan include? $622 billion in infrastructure, $300 billion for manufacturing, $320 for affordable housing, $400 billion for long-term care to give better pay and benefits for care workers, $380 billion for R&D, which is research and development, and investment into rural internet and strengthening the power grid. 
yo, Curtis, mm-hmm. this is like we've been calling this guy Moneybag Joe for <laughs> a minute. <laughs> but this what? He's running it up, dog. Yo. Run it. <laughs> and money bag, money bag, money bag, money bag. Come on. It's like what I it's like what I said last week. This is what you know, if I was in the United States, this is what I voted for. Yeah. For real. <laughs> this is what I support. This is what we support. Glad to see he's doing what uh what he was sent there to do. Yeah. And what's beautiful about this kind of spending is that it it does kind of target the lowest common denominator of American, right? It's it's not just for um you know the, the the executive to do something to create jobs and stuff like that. No, that this this kind of spending tends to go to the person who's been unemployed for a year, two years and has some skills in manufacturing or has some skills in construction and and puts them to to work. Yep. Yep, and gives them housing and provides long-term care, making sure people have more benefits. Literally the same conversations we're having in Ontario and, and in some cases in, in, in Canada more broadly, they're happening in the United States too. Mm-hmm. They're happening in the U.S. too. But just to put into perspective as to why it's kind of a big deal in the U.S., um, you know, the United States is first in the world in terms of, I mean, just about everything in, in terms of the accumulation of wealth and power, Right. right. But they are 13th for quality of infrastructure. Hmm. How does that happen? It happens when you don't care about your own people. Right. You get left <laughs> behind. Yeah. Right? When you leave people behind. So this is this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. It's literally being billed as, you know, more than a jobs and infrastructure plan. It's 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 a philosophical stamp on where Biden wants the country to go. In Canada, we haven't had the the privilege of watching the pandemic be led by by different people right sorry sorry i was like by a dumbass oh well yeah yeah right so we we we, we've had trudeau the whole time we've had ford the whole time it's it's arguable in terms of dumbassness but um (laughs) in in the states you know you've been able to watch so you watch trump lead it at the beginning and then you've seen a, a major pivot with a new leader coming in and, in a matter of weeks. Right. Like immediately upon getting into office, this guy is just like, again, money back, money back. Like this guy is changing everything. He is transferring wealth. He is, you know, planting seeds. And I think he's doing it in a way that the average American, um, or not, maybe not even the average American, but people who are still rather comfortable can really appreciate because at the end of the day, the $622 billion that he's spending in infrastructure, yes, will allow people in middle America to get jobs, but who is going to get the contract? It's still going to be folks who are um, middle-class, upper-middle-class because they're the ones that own those companies. Yeah, for sure. But infrastructure is always bipartisan, always bipartisan. Right, right, right. There's really no downside, especially when you should be number one in infrastructure and you're you're thirteenth. Like, like, come on, it's time. This plan also includes raising taxes to twenty eight percent from twenty one percent, and noting, of course, that they used to be thirty five percent. Yeah, Trump lowered them to twenty one. Um, it was really interesting to hear Biden note though that he thinks thirty five is actually too high and. 
And so that means he would never go above that, even though we've spoken on this podcast before about how tax rates at their highest levels in Western countries were above 70, 80, 90 percent effectively, even in the United States. So, um, you know, it's good that we are certainly in a more more progressive time where wealth redistribution is being seen as a solution. However, I will caution in saying that if we really want to eradicate uh, uh, inequities in our society, we're going to have to do more. Well, and we're going to have to do more. Absolutely. And that's the thing, like, like, do you want nice things or not? Like, Straight up. Like, if you don't want nice things, if you don't want your government to be able to provide, a, you know, cancer treatment for for free or at least for a reasonable cost to the consumer, and, and mm. if you if you if you don't want, um, you know, highways that don't have potholes, okay, then then fine. But like that. You, you, if, if you want nice things, you have to appreciate that that that's what taxes do. Like you got to pay for them, you got to plan for them. You ha- you have to. Like what is the what is the alternative? The alternative is what we've seen in the United States, where um, they have so many gated communities, and then mm-hmm. they end up spending that same money that they don't want to spend in taxes to a a, um, a housing authority or is that what they call them? What do they call them? But anyway, these these are um, bodies, organizations that operate at the neighborhood level that help maintain the neighborhood's roads and the neighborhood security because you don't want the, the people who are not as wealthy as you from the next neighborhood to, to be able to enter your community. So either way, you're going to spend the money. Just say that you want nice things and allow the taxes to be taken at that rate, at, at that level, you're you're going to be okay. You're going to be just fine. You'll be all right. It will likely take until the fall for the bill to pass based on different members of Congress having their various pet projects. So jumping to questions for the audience. What we've been doing has not been working. Who's to blame for that? But as far as we know, he's supposed to be listening to David Williams, especially in light of this third wave and all of the backlash where the government is receiving because of it. Do you think Williams is going to go? Do you think somebody is going to go? You just listened to episode 52 of The Trip. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. And we're releasing pods on a weekly basis. So subscribe to stay up to date. You can keep up with us on our Instagram and through our Patreon pages dedicated to the podcast. Follow us or support us at The Drip T.O. We love our many non-BIPOC listeners, but a message specifically to our Black listeners. We hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Toronto artist Be On Location for our new sound. If you like it, you can find more tracks from him wherever you get your music. See y'all next time. Yeah, I told you I'm coming back with this one, right? Yeah, let y'all feel it out. Get a vibe for some. Yeah, yeah. I'm sick and tired of nine to fives and damn bosses. Riding through the east for like 300 horses. 
throwing up the mails, but we ain't taking losses. You ain't here in spirit, but you gotta cross us. I tried to figure out what all this time is for. Going through this pain, you can't fix with Tylenol. Put these chains on my neck, it made me feel greater. Had to change my ways, like the app. Reroute, absolute. I dilute with a splash of juice. She say I'm too strong with it. But I wanna see your rap like a bomb hit it. And I wanna see you shake what your mom gave you, girl. I'm trying to figure out the ways to get it right I swear to God I'm thinking every night Like how can I do better for my son and I I'm trying to change my habits but this drug and I Overwhelming I'm trying to find peace without over condemning Niggas on the fence, I'm jumping, I'm ready Yeah, I'm jumping, I'm ready No Better jump back in Yeah Some leapfrog shit, right? Yeah. I've been trying to plan a vacate for over a year Just to clear my head space with a couple of peers But it appears nobody was right here Even though when you call, how's the one that was right there? It's okay though, can always get it right now, Jazz and Kato So I just pipe down on the lay low You better keep it stitched like Lilo, girl I'm infamous, keep my name out the gossip I'm more interested, better keep it walker A Texas Ranger, she an English major I've been on this since the cool kids had gold in the pager Come on, take a walk with me If you cold girl, you can push the start with me Same location when I enter Back to back nights, we've been rapping on the bender It's been cold since November, girl Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.